the customer has digitized. In other words, the customer has, has accelerated their their digital adoption uh, by years. I mean, you know, maybe three to five years, depending if you listen to Satya at Microsoft or uh, Carol Tomei over at uh, UPS or uh, Brian at, at at Target. Everyone essentially acknowledges that these the customers demonstrated a willingness and a desire to have these new options. And so as a result, you've got this massive wave of digitization running across the landscape, every bit affecting everyone. This is C2C, where we cover innovation in the food and CBG business from conception to consumption. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Today, I'm very excited to have as our guest, Walter Robb. Walter has been co-CEO and board member of Whole Foods and spent a large chunk of his career building that company. So we're really excited to hear from him today. Walter, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Gary. I appreciate it. Good to be with you. So, Walter, for those of our listeners who don't know your personal story and background, could you please walk them through that, you know, how you got into the food and uh, the retail business and and how things unfolded for you? Yeah, well, sure. Well, back in the Civil War, uh, (laughs) after the Civil War, there's a lot of gold miners and they needed food. No, uh, seriously, I'm not that old. But uh, back in 1978, I started a natural food store that was kind of uh, at the beginning of this sort of movement in our generation to a new uh to a new type of whole food with a small w and started a little store in a in an old garage and um and ran that for 10 years i remember uh, going over driving myself to pick up the inventory for the first spent three thousand dollars to pay for the inventory got a little store and did two hundred dollars on the first day um 10 years later uh basically sold that store started another one sold that store to john Mackey, which was store number 12 for Whole Foods prior to it being coming public. And as you know, uh, the rest of the story unfolded from there. We we built together as a team Whole Foods into a $16 billion plus, almost 500 store company and sold to Amazon in the summer of 2017. So it's really a, a story of a person like many in my generation who were looking for something meaningful to do, found their way to this thing called Whole Food or Natural Food saw an opportunity to do food a little bit differently than the previous generation, believed deeply, deeply in the power and the mission that that it represented around uh, not just the health it could do for you as an individual, but the health it could do for the community in a healthier world, and uh, and tried to bring that to fruition as part of a group that, uh, that built a company, which really has been the honor of a lifetime to have uh, been on that journey. It's a great story, and uh, I've heard several of your interviews, and you frequently talk about mission and how important that is. So as you were getting together and, you know, merging with John Mackey's, uh, you know, prior uh, uh, company and you, and you two together and many others built Whole Foods, talk to our listeners about how mission mattered as Whole Foods really grew over the years. Well, it's everything. I mean, on the in the dashboard of life, there are questions and there are questions. And then there's the questions that are they're really the questions behind the questions. And the and the mission question is really the question of why. Why are you doing this? What difference does it make? What impact will you have? Why? Why do you exist even? And uh I think you know, that is the core question everyone must con- it's the ultimate differentiator. It has to come from the entrepreneur themselves. It has to be come out of their being as to why this thing was started. And it has to be really uh, genuine, authentic, and meaningful 
uh, out there in the marketplace. So, so many good intentions were well-intentioned that could never form. It might be what they say, a good idea, but not a good company. But in the case of um, Whole Foods, our mission in simplest terms was to bring healthier foods to the world and build a company based on love and respect. As we grew and saw more and did more, that mission, which is a living thing, continues to expand as an enabler and as a facilitator, as an inspirer to be able to see uh, what's possible for the company to do. So it really, the purpose of mission is one, to, to state clearly why you exist, what you're here to do. And I heard once from my friend Mike Milken that of all the companies he financed over the years, less than 2% of the entrepreneurs said it was to, to make money. 98% of them said it was for some impact in the world. And I think that tells you a lot about the, the power of mission. But remember that it's a living thing. Remember that it continues to evolve as you evolve, which is, which makes sense. And because it also is what functions like a um, a force multiplier. It, it, it draws people into the force of feeling like they're part of something better, bigger than themselves. So both internally, in terms of team members coming to work and customers, in terms of wanting to associate or shop with a brand, uh, mission is core to all of that. Mm. Mission uh, gets talked about all the time with uh, entrepreneurs, but something that these days maybe gets talked about even more is culture. And uh, certainly the two are intertwined. They can overlap a lot, but yet they're sort of different, right? And so, Walter, how do you see mission and culture playing off each other in a successful business? Well, they're absolutely different because what, you know, culture is the the living Petri dish in which the mission unfolds. Uh, there was a quote I had. I don't have a very many famous quotes. In fact, if I have any, but one was, I remember answering a question this way. Uh, we're not so much retailers have a mission. We're missionaries who, who retail. And my point in saying it that way was that retail was the form factor in which we gave our mission life. And in that same way, culture is the form factor in which you give your mission life. And culture is nothing more than how, Team members feel working for you and customers feel shopping with you. It's the, it's what's in the air. It's the how we do it around here. It's the living, uh, Petri, it's the living, it's where the humanity of a company lives. And so it's how it feels. And so it's something that has to continuously be attended to and, uh, in more mature companies, uh, checked on and invested in through investing in things that, uh, you know, through investing in culture, through through various uh, trainings or teachings or in whatever form. I mean, number one, it has to be that the leader in, the leader themselves uh, represent that culture, and so there's a no, there's a consistency in the leader speaking and acting. Second, that the company itself has to make decisions that support the culture. Third, there has to be uh, cultural practices. They're different to every company that come organically from the from the experience of the company that are things that, you know, I'll give you an example. The United Naturals has a thing called a, it's a little monkey type thing or something. They give this award away every, it's a little doll, uh, you know, that's worth $5. And they give it away every month to the team member who does, you know, who gives the most to the company. So it's a symbol more of anything of the fact that they recognize the effort in the culture. So, what are the cultural practices? And then finally, uh, how are you empowering team members to be able to actually make a difference themselves, give them the room to move so that they can contribute to the, uh, it's, a, it's a culture where there's room for them to move and contribute to the unfolding of the company. So it's a very rich uh, topic culture, one we could probably do a whole recording on, 
But remember, despite all the books and everything, what it really is is how people feel shopping with you and working with you and that it's alive and that you've got to continue to, to tend to it like you would tend to a garden. And it becomes a lot easier to uh, take withdrawals from there than it does. to. And you've got to put deposits in there. And you do that through your authenticity, through your actual decisions, through the way you show up, and through the fact that you st- you act in a way that's congruent with your values. Mm, well said, like tending a garden. I've I've also heard uh, the saying, culture is what happens when management is not in the room. Do you find that a, to be a fair statement? Uh, well, I don't like the I don't like the separation between culture and management. I think that implies a sort of hierarchical structure that uh, you know you start you're starting you know two ba- two bases behind, and I'd rather I'd rather see it as something that emanates out from the joining of the two together and doesn't imply that there's a separation there. It's it's the common ground that brings all people together, and then the different folks go out with their different roles to make that happen. So I think about company that way. Um, so, but. You know, but given that um, your statement, I think, um, you know, both parties, management and team members, everybody has a role to play. And what I often say when I'm talking to companies is to the team members to say, like, look, it's not up to the management to make this a place where you want to work. It's up to everyone here, which means you have to take responsibility as well. If you want a culture where you want to work, that means you also have the responsibility to act and to speak in such a way that's resonant with the values and with the culture so that you end up having your responsible or also partially responsible for owning, creating this culture. And so, you know, that seems to land well with people when they realize, oh, wow, I really do have something to say about the place it is that I work. And if they get to the place where they're, they try and they're discouraged or they don't feel like they can, that's when you start to have problems in, in companies breaking apart. Mm-hmm. So let's talk for a moment about the industry, huge industry, food, consumer packaged goods. And along with that, we've all seen huge changes in, in this industry in, in the past few decades, maybe even acceleration of change. And so with all of your knowledge and, and basis and experiencing the industry, when you look forward, what do you view as some of the trends, especially long-term macro trends that you see out there? And, and what guidance can you give to innovators who are trying to respond to those trends and trying to separate them from fads? Right. Um, yeah, as they say this, uh, separate the signal from the noise. Um, I think we should take a question later on and talk, dive deep into what innovation is so that we don't just assume the definition of what it is. Because, you know, if you look at it, uh, the definition, you'll find it comes from the Latin innovere, which means to renew or to redo, which means that you can find innovation um, you can find innovation in something that already exists and just reimagine it as well as some idea of creating something that totally doesn't exist. They're both forms of innovation. But if we, so if we, and I think the COVID has sort of brought that home in the sense that no one was expecting a black swan event that forced grocery stores to have to figure out how to serve people safely. And it wasn't on the game plan for 2020 and yet it happened and they had to, and they did and they figured it out. So reminds people that you have to be prepared sometimes innovation is forced on you as opposed to okay we're going to write out an innovation plan so we could dive more into any of that later if you want to but when i look out at the market today it's clear and COVID has accelerated this on the 
On the uh, overall customer side, it's clear to me that um, the customer has digitized. In other words, the customer has, has accelerated their their digital adoption uh, by years. I mean, you know, maybe three to five years, depending if you listen to Satya at Microsoft or uh, Carol Tomei over at uh, UPS or uh, Brian at, at at Target. Everyone essentially acknowledges that these the customers demonstrated a willingness and a desire to have these new options. And so as a result, you've got this massive wave of digitization running across the landscape, every bit affecting everyone as customers have said, they're willing to do business in different ways. And so fundamentally going to market, you have to be able to go to market in, uh, in ways that are compatible with the, di- the increasing digitization with respect to retailing itself. It's clear to me the future is hybrid um, because um, because of the digitization that retailers, uh, customers expect now to be met where they are and how they want to be met. They, they've been able to do that. So why wouldn't they expect that from the brands that they choose to do business with? It's going to be that there is, uh, uh, it's going to, it's going to take hybrid forms. That is to say, you're going to pick it up. You're going to be able to deliver it. You're going to be able to go to the store and everything in between or order directly from the manufacturer. The retailing is going to take um, many forms. And so as you go into business as a retailer, a food retailer, or as a grocery store, you're going to have to open yourself up with uh, strategies that are broader than they were when we just built a four-wall physical store because the grocery industry has moved far beyond the four walls. It still has the four walls, but it's much more than the four walls. And those walls are wider and broader and made of digital airwaves, I think. Third would be the food itself. We uh, have basically had an agricultural system since World War II where uh, modern chemicals and fertilizers came out of the war effort and have informed an area of incredible uh, production efficiency and productivity over the last, what is it, uh, you know, 80 or 70, 80 years. Kind of reaching the end of the line in terms of what can be done from that system and what's been birthed alongside of it, starting with our movement in the late 70s and 80s, is the National Organic more sustainable food system, which is grown alongside and growing much more rapidly. Both are, both are there because the, 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 the conventional production system is massive worldwide and uh, shows no sign of slowing down either on the demand or the supply side. It's had disruptions from COVID, but it continues on, on demand. But um, you do have this emergence of the new and out of that is coming incredible amount of innovation with respect to uh, new, new, uh, Diversity in food, because as you know, we probably get 75 or 80 percent of our calories from 12 plants and five foods. And we now have uh, we're going to have a whole new range of diversity of food that's going to emerge over the next number of years for customers to choose from. And that's going to include those that are done through technology and biology, as well as going to be included from those that are discovered to have properties that we perhaps didn't appreciate. So. You know, companies are, are, are unlocking the kind of bl- dark matter of plants to find magical ingredients. We've seen this on the edge of the functional nutrient, nu- nutrient business, but it's only going to explode into realizing, wow, these two types of foods are now available. So we'll see a revolution there, as well as through technology, we'll see the re- unlock of uh, cell-based meat. Uh, and probably the biggest trend of all in this is plant-based, whole foods plant-based uh, I have never, this is going to be a half a trillion dollar market by 2040. This is going to be, this is the biggest single consumer trend I've ever seen in all my years as a grocer is the general move to plant-based foods. 
Now, folks are not one common folk. They're going to move as they move, as they want to move, and in, in the way in which they want to move. Um, but this market of flexitarians who are saying, I want to do a little bit more plant-based and are, are, are driving the, you know, the sales around impossible and beyond meat, this is going to explode as a whole new range of choices come to market. And believe me, I've seen them, and it's the capital markets are rushing in to fund it. We're going to have a whole new generation of food that has a set of choices we simply didn't have 10 years ago. And then finally, the fourth thing I'd mention is simply that I think that the context in which uh, these trends unfold has changed and broadened with the arrival of these new generations, which uh, expect more from brands, expect more from innovation, expect more from companies, expect that there's a linkage to a community, linkage to the people, linkage to making a better world and a better planet. Hold the companies and products to a higher standard of transparency and accountability and responsibility. Expect those things, whether it's a carbon footprint, a nutrient density, or a flavor profile to um, uh, to basically meet a higher standard of responsibility for uh, their being for the right to get their support as a customer. I just think that is the way those companies embrace that are going to be the ones that win out there and are going to win with their innovation. Those that do not will have a hard time uh, gaining share. So, um, you know, I think, I think five is just to, you know, we re- four or four is just to really recognizing how that context in which all this innovation is happening is so fundamental. And, uh, and so and this is, it's, it's rising the fuel of the ESG investment funds. It's rising the, it's, it's behind the rise of the, uh, the, the customers trying all sorts of new ways of doing commerce, uh, whether it's, you know, on social platforms, it's driving um, their demand for products that have, um, you know, have an answer at a higher level, how they're made and those sorts of things. So I, I would say those are those are some of the um, those are some of the major contexts and trends that are going to unfold for food and CPG over the next number of years. I just add one final thing I just thought of here, um, which is number five, because I gave you four. It's just that there is now a new appreciation for food in general, which is that food touches in a way that nothing very, it touches every aspect of human existence. It touches health. It touches community. It touches uh, equity. It touches climate. It touches humanity. It touches everything from the time we sit down at the dinner tables of family to the way in which food gets out into the community. And so that there is now a new, particularly in COVID, as we've seen people cook at home, um, uh, experience disruptions in food supply. Uh, it's sort of akin to the Victory Gardens experience in World War II. People realized they had to step up and take more responsibility. But what's happened, if you will, is kind of a renewed connection for people with food in general, not just for the sustenance it represents, but for the uh, for the uh, the promise it represents in terms of building a more sustainable world, and so um, it's really important to recognize. And you know, me being a Whole Foods guy with the small W, coming back around to just truly appreciating um, what food is and what food does and what food represents and and what a plate of food really means. And I mean, I'm always a good plate of fresh, healthy foods. Is, is such an amazing experience when you put the colors on the plate, when you cook it properly, when you grow it in your garden, when you realize, realize what you know is actually happening when you sit down at the table and experience food and how it allows you to continue to go on and do your work in the world. 
I think we now have appreciated the food. We've also appreciated the workers who who bring it to us every day in a way that perhaps we had taken for granted a couple of years ago that we don't anymore. So I really, if you sit back and listen to this interview, I think these five areas are all things that provide the answer to your question of what lays ahead over the next number of years. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. That's uh, It's a lot for everybody to consider, but it's very, very exciting. So let's talk for a minute about the folks who are entrepreneurs and in the startup situation with food businesses. We've had a lot of them on this podcast, and they've told their stories. And, of course, it's tough to get through all the early stage struggles, lots of different things folks need to work through. But in many cases, you can really hear when people get excited about their stories, when they feel like they've made it, when they finally secured national distribution at a retailer. And some of our guests specifically talk about that retailer being Whole Foods. Um, And you can just hear the emotion in their voice when that turning point or tipping point came. Um, so what can you share? What was it like for you being on the other side of the table uh, when you interacted with those entrepreneurs? You know, uh, listen, it, uh, I, I'm, I'm well aware, having taken many, particularly in the early days, many of those meetings myself, um, that it represented a tremendous opportunity, but also responsibility. And um, we actually were many years in before we got called by a supplier on the on the on the on the on the carpet, if you will, saying, you know, look, you've got these core values for all your stakeholders. You don't have a, a core value for your share for your for your suppliers. And, you know, we said, you know what, you're right. And we and so we created we created one called win win relationship with our suppliers. And the whole thought was to be a brand par- partner. And and obviously, uh, for people to get placement in Whole Foods, it became a, uh, a sign of acceptance in the natural food world, became a sign, a symbol of, of arrival. And, um, and so I guess for me, one was, I would say three things. One was the great joy that it represented in that my personal mission and the mission of Whole Foods was to bring more healthier foods and the idea of healthy foods to the world each product, one product at a time, the joy that came from seeing that actually happen and come alive over the years was, well, I don't know. It's like, it's like when you feel your mission coming alive inside yourself, it doesn't get any better than that. You will never find fulfillment like that. Like when you find it, feel like you're actually living what you're here to do. And I think for, for me individually and for us as a company, the joy and the, the and the and the pleasure and the satisfaction we received uh, in that. Number two, I'd say, would be the uh, the two appreciation for the supplier doing something that we couldn't do, which was to create a product. You know, and all the trouble that it goes. I mean, I'm not a a, a brand guy. I'm a retailer, and um, I rely on the brands to come up with the ideas, to come up with the products, to do the work, to to create their brand, to get their message out, to com- and just an appreciation for um, the supplier partners and for the work that they had done. And often cases, their their stories, as you know from probably talking to others, are so rich and so individual and so amazing. Like some people created it because they got in a health crisis. Some created it because they had they went on a travel trip and they saw something in the jungle that could be brought to the market. Some people did it just because they 
they saw an opportunity to open up a new category. Um, you know, there was the innovation. Some saw a category that was stale that wanted to innovate in a category. It didn't really matter. But for me, the ones that were most touching uh, were those ones that had a truly a family story, you know, uh, with them in some way, shape or form. Um, and I say that because um, there was just a, the, the third the answer is really the appreciation um, uh, for 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 them. And I, I think of someone I think I think of someone also like Grimway Farms, Jeff Huckabee and his team at Grimway Farms. They are organic farmer of the year in 2020, a conventional farmer of the year in 2019, growing 83 crop, 63 crops down in, the, in Bakersfield. They're a large company, but uh, but the quality with which they take care of their soil, the way they think about their farming. And so it isn't really about the size. We think about sometimes just small suppliers or big suppliers. But to them, the relationship with Whole Foods was critical to them drawing a, a baseline out there around their being able to accelerate their grow practices and impact the planet. So appreciation was my second answer. And my third one is responsibility. It's like it just doubled down on feeling, like, whoa, this is really a responsibility to be a true partner to this and to listen to their concerns because things got screwed up from time to time. People felt like things were not being tended or there was too much bureaucracy or paperwork or they couldn't get a call back. And, you know, one of the themes in there, Whole Foods, like we are, we are Whole Foods. We're not Holy Foods. You know, we are Whole Foods and therefore we are going to be partners. We're going to call people back. Even if the answer is no, we'll call them back. So it was just a continued heightened sense of responsibility to be a partner and not be a titan or a, not be a, uh, you know, a dictator, but to be a responsible partner, which, which meant honesty, which meant sometimes you had to tell people, you know what, you're not there yet or no, or we can't fit it in right now. So I would say those answers, the joy, the appreciation and the responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like the respect uh, part as well. And, uh, you know, follow up point on that, for these food entrepreneurs who are looking to get their first national retail placement, um, any tips you can provide or recommendations on you know what their mindset should be and the approach they need to bring to their meetings with retailers and to the and to their pitches? Yeah, well, um, you know the the, fir- the first thing my, uh, an expression my dad had comes to mind here is. Uh, don't pa ba when you can ba, and uh, I probably sat through a million pitches. And uh, you know what my dad meant was, you know, make your case, but don't make your case three times, you know, because then it just uh, goes downhill. So the first thing is get your, you know, first thing is you got to have your story tight, and you have your story tight in a way that is relevant for the retailer that you're pitching to. Not everyone wants to know where you went to high school or you know. Um, you know, what shoes you wore in fourth grade. Uh, and I'm not making light of their stories. That's all I'm putting, but, it, but, but really who is your audience and, and get, and, and present in the context of they're sitting there thinking, how will this product help my customers? How will this make my store better? Present your story in their context of how you can help them to be a better retailer or serve their customers better. Number two is, you got to have an all-in mindset. There's no way in today's competitive market that you're going to win or succeed unless you're all-in. I mean, you can't be halfway in. You got to be all-in, and people got to feel that passion and conviction and commitment that you have to what you're bringing to the table. So, your know, passion, conviction, commitment that goes along with the uh, context that you understand. Third is, I think, recognizing that 
coming in and asking for something that's unrealistic. Some people come, I want to go national tomorrow with Whole Foods. Well, the fact is you're actually not ready to do that. You're not in a position to be able to support that brand. Uh, you don't have enough boots on the ground. You don't have enough resources to do the ads or promo. So what is the, depending on your resources and where you are, you know, being willing to do this in reasonable stages or reasonable steps in a way that are thoughtful and that are supportable is, uh, you know, finding that right pathway. You know, once you hit a certain, at Whole Foods, the cadence happens to be you need to get in three regions and functioning before you can apply to become, you know, a, a national supplier to Whole Foods. That's kind of what's been worked out. Uh, but you can certainly start as a local supplier working through the Forager network where you uh, you come in with your, your local story and you and you build a base of customers, um, you know, on 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 the strength of a single region where, where you are and where you're located. And that story plays well. Of course, in today's market as a brand, you have option to go to market um, many different ways. You can go D to C. You can set up a website. You can go uh, with, Am- you know, Amazon or Shopify. You can, there's many ways for you to go to market that didn't exist 10 years ago. And you certainly have to look at all those alternatives and perhaps do them all simultaneously uh, going to market. So I think you need to have the, uh, you need to have a moderate knowledge of the modern market and how to, how to, how to, how to play. And then I think finally just uh, this idea of um, you know, the, you know, the modern skills, to, the necessary to be successful today, and then I think finally it's just the um, the authenticity around your brand. And uh, you know, don't come selling snake oil. Come with something that's real, that really is innovative in whatever way you define that. Uh, that's bringing true value to the marketplace. Mm-hmm. I'm here with Walter Robb, co-CEO and board member of Whole Foods. Uh, Walter. You talked uh, a little bit previously in our conversation about innovation and and the Latin definition of innovation. Um, You know, what can you share in your experience with innovation? Any particular viewpoints or stories on success versus failure that uh, that you can share with our listeners? Yeah, well, they're both they're. First, Gary, let me just say that I am the former co-CEO of Whole Foods Market. As uh, as I I had um, I did leave the company when we sold to Amazon, and uh, and and John is still there uh, in that role. So I just want to make sure that your your listeners are um, got the facts on that one. But clearly, look, success. I was there close to thirty years, so it is in my blood and DNA. But um, uh, clearly, both success and failure are parts of. Uh, innovation inclusive if you haven't tried hard enough if you haven't failed at all then you probably haven't tried hard enough as the old saying goes so um, my experience with that is like retailing at its core is uh, from the French definition a French word of retailier which means to recut the cloth which means that the essence of the craft of retailing is constant experimentation constant change constant fiddling around think about it you put produce out on the floor, you move it around, you try it different places. If it doesn't sell, you try different things. And so it's not like you, you, you do it and then you arrive and that's it. You're constantly fiddling with it. Every new store at Whole Foods, we try to bring some new experience to the customer. So, so, so failure is a way to learn. Failure is an opportunity to learn. Failure could be a failure in the short-term sense and not a failure in that it leads to, leads to a longer-term success. Example for you, uh, in the Berkeley store one day, the bakery case, which was all service bakery, the glass broke. The refrigeration company couldn't come out in time, so we wrapped the bakery, and, and voila, what was born was self-service bakery. And you know what? It worked. Customers were willing to get the stuff themselves, but it just came out of 
necessity is the mother of invention, right? So I think it's a matter of, are you paying attention? One of the things that's clear to me for success today is the ability to, is your, your, your ability to be creative and agile, your agility and your creativity. Are you able to respond to a situation you can't anticipate or didn't know and not get blown up, but have some ability to respond and adjust and be agile with that? That defines successful leaders today and is part of innovation is rolling with it, moving with it, growing with it, changing with it, adding to it. And like that is really what it's how you respond to what is presented and what comes up that is going to be make the difference between your success and failure. So um, yeah, there's there's a you know there's both in it, and again remembering that it comes from not only things that are already um, that are already uh, out there, um, which is the in a very definition reimagining something that exists as well as creating something new. Uh, it, bo- both are true, and so don't make sure folks don't uh, limit uh, to, uh, you know, and I think the other thing is that remembering that things like the COVID can happen, and, and even though it wasn't in your plan, do you have the capacity to respond to a situation you may not have anticipated? What's your, be- what's your game plan you're going to pull out when something comes up like that? And by the way, one last research is a little book called Little Bets by Peter Sims, which I just started reading. It says how breakthrough ideas emerge from small discoveries. It's a good read on the idea of uh, not betting the ranch on innovation, but doing lots of little bets out there and scaling them up as you go to see which ones look like they have the potential to really get big. Hmm. Little bets. I'll have to check that out. By Peter Sims. Mm-hmm. Um, so for people who are, who are wondering, do I have what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur, um, anything more you'd say about them doing sort of a mental check on, you know, the mindsets and the qualities and the talents that you think are needed or characterize a top innovator? Um, you, you want to try to line up with your own purpose so that the depth of your purpose comes through in the depth of your product, that there's a lineup there between who you are and what you've created that, you know, that's also we've talked about the need for agility and creativity. Those are never been in more premium uh, in a successful entrepreneur and innovator now than they are based on everything we've seen over the last year. And, and I mean, I guess for me, I'd add one more, which is just around integrity. It's like at the end of the day, you got to, you know, who are you and, and how do you show up and how do you conduct yourself? And um, for me, that's that's core to anything that you're going to do. If you can't do it and do it in integrity with yourself and with the world, then why would you be doing it? Um, so, but that's my particular combination. Others may have it see it differently. Mm-hmm. We've talked a little bit about the tremendous acceleration of change and all the opportunities in the food space right now. What do you think some of the biggest challenges or speed bumps are that are out there? Well, um, the fact that the the pace of innovation has has picked up so dramatically that um, that and the that there's a lot of uh, stuff flying around um, that uh, you know maybe hasn't been uh, tested or checked or you know is just rushing to market. Um, there's a lot of Me Too product out there. Uh, there's a lot of uh, the speed of it all doesn't allow the same pace, the same pace of examination that's typically happened. So we're running a lot of experiments uh, concurrently here. Um, I don't know that's a bad thing, but it's just that the fact is that things are moving at a 2x speed right now. 
and um, that it, in some cases the innovation is running ahead of consumer adoption. So we don't yet know, for example, what the customer is going to do with cell-based meat or some of these new forms of plant-based foods. We don't know because it's not at market. We know that they're developing them. We just don't know what the customer is going to do with them. So um, the challenge is in some ways you're flying blind until you get out there and see how the customer is going to actually respond to your story. Um, so I would just say it's maybe that that gap that exists between the pace of innovation on the supply side and the where the innovation is on the sell side uh, or on the on the customer side. Mm-hmm. So looking back uh, across, you know, your esteemed career, um, what can you share with our listeners? Are are there any things you might have done differently if you had the chance to do over? Well, you're very kind to say esteemed. Who knows if that's true? But um, it was uh, it was definitely uh, blood, sweat, and tears, and and proudly proudly given. Um, I think you know one is you realize at the end of the day that business is about people, and that in the real value in a business is people and relationships. And I would say to the team always, um, you know, we're I don't want to be in the transaction business. I want to be in the relationship business. I want us to build relationships with customers and with each other. And so I think, you know, I think um, you learn as a type A driven leader, um, you're, you're pounding on every detail, pushing people hard. Let's get going. Let's do this. And I think in the end, you realize that the real joy in leadership is creating space for others to grow and contribute. And um, I think I would have learned the proportions earlier. It might have been helpful to me uh, in terms of being a different sort of leader, that one that balances my ability to push with my heart and compassion. So that's definitely a lesson learned that I was grateful to have learned uh, from my time at Whole Foods. And uh, in terms of other things done differently, I guess um, the only other area really is truly understanding what it means to be part of a team uh, on a couple of occasions. I, uh, you know, in my interest of speed, I went around somebody on a team that I was part of at the executive level and that boomerang backed as it should have. And I learned that being part of a team means that you you let go of having to do everything yourself and you trust your teammate to do it. And um, so I learned that lesson a couple of times and now have a true appreciation for what team really means as a result of those experience experiences. Thank you for sharing those. And let me ask, uh, let me ask now, uh, what can you share with our listeners on what's next for you? Well, you mean what's now for me, right? Cause I'm, I'm here with you right, right now. I, I, I got to finish this podcast before I can do anything else. So, um, but, uh, and we want to give a shout out to Mercedes for all their help in setting this up. So thank you, Mercedes. Um, well, what I've been doing now is um, I would say, um, you know, I take great joy and I think all older people, I'm 67 years old now, so getting along, but decided that the real joy comes from, and joy is my year, my word for 2021 is to, is to is to stay connected to the younger generation who there's they, they can see way far farther along than we can and it's really an honor and a pleasure to to work and support them they want wisdom and ideas around culture and things we've talked about today i, I want the benefit of what they see out there and how they they understand tools natively in ways that i don't and um so in in that sense i've been working with a number of companies um to help them in their journey i work part-time as an executive in residence at S2G Ventures based in uh, the West Loop of Chicago. Here are specifically a, a, a venture firm based on, on uh, food and ag companies in the sustainable, su- sustainable food space. So I, I do that. I serve on some boards. 
I do some speaking and, um, and I work with individual companies. So it's a, it's a full plate with many things on it, um, which is very different than the 30 year chapter at one place, but it is, um, still enriching nonetheless. Hmm. So Walter, I ask uh, all of our guests the same question and it's on advice. What would, what advice would you give to two different sets of folks? First, innovators already in the food space and second, new people just starting their career in this space. Yeah. Well, uh, again, we've talked about a lot of this in the course of the conversation, but those that are in that, I would say you are, you have, you have, a right, you are in the right place. There's, there's nothing, there's no other place. It's, it's pretty hard if you're in it, you know, um, at the speed at which the world is moving now to change lanes into another and start selling elevators or fixing, you know, whatever it, it's, uh, you know, I think you, if you, if you're really feeling, feeling your heart in it, just keep going. And, um, and there is more opportunity opening here than I've ever seen ever in my life. And I was there at the beginning and I've never seen more opportunity than exists right now to develop, if you will, the new food world order, um, is what I've been calling it. And so, um, check your, check your dashboard. If you're in the right place, then, then power on and, and opportunity will continue to open up with respect to those that are just joining, um, welcome and um, understand that we're about much more than food. We're about all the responsibility and the possibility that food represents because it is so basic and necessary for human existence. Um, it's really um, an opportunity to touch people in so many different ways, whether it's the story you're telling, the company you're, you're using, the country you're sourcing from, the ingredient that you're using, the process you've chosen, the uh, benefit that it represents to people um you know so i think i think uh it but in the all in the end it comes back to you have to want to be in this particular business and uh if you are um the world's your oyster so to speak mm -hmm. good advice walter before we go into wrap up any other comments or things you'd like to point out for our listeners no, I don't think so. I think we've covered a lot of ground here, and I appreciate your making the time to have this conversation. I thought um, that your questions were really good, and I think I, as I reflect back on it, I think the, the context around the five ideas I, I, I shared with you about uh, where we are at this point in time, I think it's important for people to, to recognize we really are at a meaningful pivot point here. That word gets overused, but this is truly a, a moment of change. We stand at the top of the mountain looking at a new generation of food, a new generation of food systems, a new generation of how food is perceived. And in that sense, it is a moment in time compared to uh, all the years that we've been working to get to the mountaintop. Mm, very, very exciting time. And I, and I agree wholeheartedly that uh, that's where we're at. I want to thank my guest today, Walter Robb, who is the former co-CEO and board member of Whole Foods. Walter, thank you so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure to be with you. Thanks for listening to C2C, where we cover innovation in the food and CPG business from conception to consumption. Just type the letters C-T-O-C, no spaces, to find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbeam, and Google Play.